Good morning, Valley family. Uh, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're continuing this series called New Normal, and I want to give a big shout out to our microsites that are launching today. Uh, thank you so much for all of our host homes. I think we have 20 or so uh, microsites that have started today, and uh, there'll be more probably coming online uh, in, in the short term in, in the next couple of weeks or so. Uh, but today is a, is a little different message. Uh, I want to share a, a brief portion uh, with you first, and then I'm going to be joined by uh, Pastor Karen Johnson and Pastor Stephen Francis as we really just have a conversation. We want you to be able to eavesdrop on a conversation. We've been having a lot of great conversation all week long uh, pertaining to racism and prejudice, but I want to frame it first in a biblical perspective because there's so much that the Bible has to say on this issue that God has to say, that Jesus had to say on this issue. Um, the woman at the well, that story in the New Testament with Jesus has to do with racism. Uh, Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, it has to do with God, all nations, all people, all languages breaking down barriers. Uh, the Great Commission itself, that, that he sent the disciples out, the apostles, they're sent ones to make disciples of all nations. Ethnos is the word there, ethnicity. It has to do with, with race. Uh, and, and there's 25 different verses specifically in the Bible that deal with th there should be no favoritism. Favoritism is a form of prejudice. Even in the uh, epistle of James, for instance, in, in James chapter 2, verse 1 and 8 and 9, it says, show no favoritism. So we can't really, I believe, look to the, the world, look to the community, look to our government to get this right. Uh, we need to look to God. God's the one that can heal the hurt and the wounds that have been for centuries due to prejudice and racism. And, and I think the, the clearest story or passage in all the Bible that speaks to race uh, really, really directly, it's not even an inference, it speaks to prejudice, it speaks to racism, uh, is the story of the Good Samaritan. So if you have your Valley app, I'm going to invite you, go ahead, open that up right now. We're going to jump right into this story that Jesus told about the Good Samaritan. We also have some additional notes that's just in your Valley app. There are going to be some resources. I think when we're done today, you're going to want to dig into a lot more resources to learn more, to educate yourself, to be aware of what really the situation is all around us that, quite honestly, I think a lot of folks, really, really good hearts, just don't know what to do, and we want to put those tools in your hands. So you want to make sure that you have that Valley app. If you haven't downloaded it before, it's free uh, in your store, whatever device that you use. So let's look at it, and I'll start a little early here in Luke chapter 10 to give us the context. Luke chapter 10, there's actually a man that comes to Jesus, and he has question and answer. So we're going to first look at question and answer with Jesus, and then question and answer with Stephen and Karen as well. So it's all about Q&A today. So Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, says, on the occasion, an expert in the law, so he's a religious leader, stood up to test Jesus. So his motivation wasn't even pure. And he said, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus answers, what is written in the law? And he replied, how do you read it? And goes on and says, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Real clear there, real important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replied, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. It goes on and says, do this and you will live. That's what Jesus asked you. You do that, you're going to live a righteous life. You're going to be right before God. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked another question. I just have another follow-up question. And he asked this question of Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so just summarizing this first kind of set of questions here, uh, he's saying, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And he, Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor. If you love God and you love your neighbor, you are going to live a righteous life. You're going to fulfill God's plan, purpose for your life. You're going you're to be in the center of God's will every moment of your life. And then he has this follow-up question, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus replies, and watch this now, goes on and it says, in reply to his question, who's my neighbor? Jesus is like, I'm going to tell you a story, you'll find out. 
And Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, the thing that we need to understand about this, just a little context, uh, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is actually a real place that was famous for robberies taking place on it. Uh, it, it was a, a, a road where someone, uh, if they were hurt, uh, it would be almost impossible if you were on that road to notice someone who'd been beaten, left for dead, stripped naked. Like it was unavoidable. You couldn't like walk by, oh, I didn't see that. And, and there was this huge tension at the time between Jewish people and Samaritans. And I'll explain that in just a second, but so much so uh, that, that history actually says just a few years after the telling of this, there was actually a massacre where a, a, a band, a mob of Jewish people went and to totally destroyed one of the Samaritan towns. There was huge prejudice, huge racism between these two factions and really, really important. And so we pick up the story. Jesus continues in verse 31, and it says, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, see, you can't, he, he he couldn't overlook him. He, he couldn't, oh, you know, I, I missed it. When he saw the man, he passed by. He saw him, and he did nothing. He kept silent, and he kept on walking. And, and remember, he's a priest. He's a Jewish priest. He's a religious person. He's a he wouldn't ever miss a week in the temple. His church attendance was exemplary. And he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw, he passed by on the other side. Levite is a tribe, a Jewish tribe, one of the, the Jewish tribes. And so two Jewish people Passed by this man, bleeding, naked, beaten, left for dead. Passed by. Said nothing. Did nothing. Just kept on walking. A Levite is a member of the Hebrew tribe of Levi, and especially of that part, uh, that particular tribe, they assist the priests in worship in the Jewish temple. So think about it. These are some... <laughs> Main core religious church people, temple people. Someone in need, nothing. Absolutely nothing. I, I heard Bishop T.D. Jakes, great black pastor in Dallas, Texas, he, he put it this way religion has a tendency to hold, to be bold verbally but blind in a crisis. To talk a good talk, but in the middle of crisis, there's no action. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think there's more truth to that than a lot of Christians want to admit to. Picking up the story again in verse 33. But a Samaritan, remember, they're enemies because of prejudice and racism rampant at the time, they would be diametrically opposed in conflict with one another. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, the priest saw him and the Levite saw him and kept on walking. But when the Samaritan saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him he didn't expect the man who was beaten and bloodied to come to him and say, I need help. He, he, he didn't wait till he cried out. He didn't wait till the man said, does anybody care? He came to him. He saw and he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine medication at that time and he put the man on his own donkey do you realize what that means he allowed this beaten bloody naked man to experience the benefit of the privileges that he had 
his donkey. That means this good Samaritan walked and he let this man ride instead. This is a powerful story all about racism and prejudice and how it should not be any part of our lives. And he brought him to an end and he took care of him. Samaritans were the reason for the conflict. They were half Jew uh, and, and half Gentile race and, and they'd intermarried and, and uh, they were discriminated against. And, and yet this man that was bloody and beaten was Jewish. The priest didn't stop. The Levite didn't stop. The Samaritan, the one that had been discriminated against, he's the one that stopped. And then verse 35 The next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him. He said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you have. It cost him to show kindness. It cost him personally. One day taking care of him, put him up in the inn for two more days. He had to sacrifice in order to be a good neighbor. And Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He goes on and says, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, you go and do likewise. That's what God expects of you. That's what God expects of me. That whenever we see someone in pain, and heartache, beaten and bloody and downcast, we have a responsibility not to wait until they reach out to us, but when we see them, that we go to them because they're our neighbor. Go and do likewise. Real quickly, three keys to loving your neighbor from this story, this parable that Jesus saw question and answer about who's my neighbor. Real practical, and we're going to get even more practical in the conversation that's coming. First one is this, loving your neighbor means knowing their pain. The fact about the matter is right now in the United States, our, our black brothers and sisters are experiencing a tremendous amount of pain. And if we don't reach out to them and start a conversation with them We are the priest and the Levite that just keep walking. That just keep walking. Because they're her neighbor. That's what Jesus is saying. Loving your neighbor means knowing their pain. We need to be aware that there is a problem. And I think for many of us in the conversation we're about to have, we're going to become more aware of some things we never even knew were going on. And it's really, really important, not to make us, let me say, as a white person, not to make me feel guilty because of the color of my skin, because I didn't choose this. But I do know this, God wants me to help solve this problem. I, even if I personally have not contributed to it, he wants me to be a solution. Because our black brothers and sisters are, are laying in pain. And it's not up to them to reach out to us. We need to look. We need to stop. And we need to sacrifice and serve. Loving your neighbor means knowing their pain. Second thing is this. Loving your neighbor mobilizes compassion. See, love is not passive. Love is active. And so we need to mobilize. We need to, it's not enough just to feel an emotion. We need to move on that and make a difference. Make the effort to bring healing to the problem. And the third key to loving our neighbor is this. Loving your neighbor moves forward by faith. I, I feel it. I know so many people who want to do something, just don't know what to do. Do something. Do anything. Do something even little, but don't walk on by and do nothing. Many of us feel helpless in changing this situation, but with faith we can make a small impact that will have really, really large effects. And so I wanted to just lay the foundation, kind of the framework for this conversation we're about to have.
with Jesus' own words. And this is, this is the clear cut, the, the clearest example of Jesus speaking out against racism and prejudice. But it's not the only one. It's all throughout the scripture. And so what I want to do right now is I just want to pray. I, I want to pray and, and then we'll start the conversation. And, and I believe we're all going to benefit from it. So right now I'm just going to ask, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, it's with bowed heads and humble hearts, Lord, that we come to you today. And we pray that, Lord, you would teach us to see clearly that we, your children, are far more alike than we are different. Help us, Lord, to put aside the racial prejudices embedded inside of us and to see that every person was created in your image. Father, I pray that you'd forgive our silence. Forgive us, Lord, when we've just passed by and said nothing and done nothing when the opportunities were before us. Give us strength and courage to speak out against racism and injustice and to work for the transformation of unjust systems that keep some in bondage even today that we may more fully live out your kingdom here on earth through Jesus Christ, your son, who came to set us free. In the name of the one who died for all persons of all colors, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, welcome once again. Uh, I'm really thrilled to have uh, Pastor Stephen Francis and Pastor Karen Johnson joining me on stage right now. Uh, because this is really a conversation, uh, actually for hours and hours this week, we've been talking in, in the office and we want to just allow you to kind of eavesdrop on the conversation. Uh, I've learned so much literally in the last four days. Uh, and, and I think I'm not alone in that, that, that many of us don't quite know, first of all, what you're feeling as African-American, African-Americans and, and, uh, in response to current events that have just happened recently and are still going on as well. So uh, we're here to learn, you know, and, and we're just humble and we want to learn and we want to be more like Jesus Christ in the way we respond and what we do. So Stephen, uh, you know, can you just share with us starting out your feelings about George Floyd's murder? Uh, I mean, it, it's reprehensible what happened to him, and we condemn that. But I realize in our conversations we've already had that as painful and difficult as it is for me, as a, a black American, it's a whole different place for you. Uh, well, first off, I just want to say thank you for giving us the opportunity to even have this conversation. And uh, it, this is something that needs to be happening more, not just in church, but Definitely. in uh, in homes. And, and to be able to do this is truly a blessing. So thank you for this. And, you know, uh, I, I can only speak for myself, you know, um, with anything that we're going to share. I just want to be clear that uh, I am a black person from the black experience. I don't want to answer for all black people. Uh, but I definitely do want to be honest and vulnerable about my experiences. So I say all that now to, to give you the answer with George Floyd and how it affected me. Uh, we had a conversation before about the also uh, horrific killing of Ahmaud Arbery. Mm -hmm. And that was something that really saddened me. But the George Floyd situation really broke me. Mm. And I think there's a reason for that. And just kind of giving just a quick recap or a summary of things that we've spoken about mm -hmm. is that often we see in history that normally when someone deals with persecution or a difficult situation, uh, they, it can unify a community. Right. Uh, scripture shows that how the early church was actually unified because of the persecution that they experienced. Mm -hmm. uh, we've experienced this in, with America, specifically 9-11, how it united the country, it united U New York mm -hmm. uh, to stand up. Um, but the thing about that also is that not only is there a unity that can happen in communities, but there's actually a trauma that communities can experience well past the event. Right. And 
when it comes to the black experience, when it comes to being black in America, there is several hundred years of slavery. And obviously slavery was wrong in the sense of uh, people should not be seen as property, but mm -hmm. also there was the level of the abuse that happened in slavery. Right. Uh, and, you know, I, I know that there might be younger people and things like that watching, but there was sexual abuse things that were happening. Mm -hmm. There was uh, people that were horrifically murdered and, and abused during that whole period of history. And not only did that unify the black community, but that hasn't left the black community, mm -hmm. that pain. And we've uh, there was a research done on Holocaust survivors, how not only did it affect them, but it physi physiologically changed their grandchildren. Mm -hmm. and, and that's something that is experienced in many black people here in America. So when the George Floyd situation happened, and for anybody that may not be aware of what happened, um, a man uh, was called and questioned specifically due to uh, counterfeit billing. Uh, it was either a fraudulent check or, 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 or a $20 bill that wasn't right. But somehow there was a course of action that ended up with him being handcuffed on the floor with a, with a white police officer's knee on his neck. And it broke me for obviously the objective reality that, of how could somebody do that where a, a grown man is calling for his mother and is saying he can't breathe and a man being emotionless, being able to do that. And if I could be honest, cause this is supposed to be an honest conversation. I think mm -hmm. the thing, and I talked to my wife about this, the thing that stayed with me for days was that the man was able to do that with his hands in his pocket. He was able to do that with such ease and such callousness that mm -hmm. George Floyd's life seemed like nothing to him to crush. Mm -hmm. But not only was it heartbreaking, but for many people in the black community, it felt way too familiar and it was triggering mm -hmm. for what happened. And there were so many people that I talked to that felt like it, it almost felt like somehow, even though I did not experience what happened so many years ago, that I also felt like they're doing it to us again. Mm -hmm. I don't want this to be what our lives are like again. Right which sparked so much outrage. So that that's my personal feelings on it. But Karen, was, would you say, uh, Stephen, it was almost like PTSD, cumulative effect, mm -hmm. and that just triggered it once again, and maybe a much, much more acute way even, but the pain of the past just came into the present. 100% it did. Yeah. And it was, it was a PTSD that triggered all of these emotions and feelings that I personally have not experienced, but somehow brought the entire community to a place of just fear and rage all at the same time. And we've mentioned before how, because we are a community, what we see happen to one of us is something that we also feel happens to all of us or right. could happen to all of us. Mm -hmm. So in many ways, I was scared for my life because I said that that could be me. Right if I'm in the wrong area, in the wrong situation. Mm -hmm. So it, it was definitely traumatic to say the least, mm -hmm. but Karen, your, your thoughts. Karen, what was your reaction as a black woman, as a wife, as a mother, as a grandmother, watching that unfold? Um, before I go on to that part, I also wanna say thank you for sure this opportunity to open a conversation that I hope will bring uh, perspective mm -hmm. and certainly healing and, you know, ability for us all to move forward mm -hmm. in greater understanding. And again, as Stephen had mentioned that, you know, we can't speak for every black person. Mm -hmm. We don't know every black person. Right. We're speaking for ourselves mm -hmm. and, you know, what we've seen and experienced in our community. Um, and I think it's important that it was mentioned that you know, that you mentioned the trauma mm -hmm. because that's exactly what it felt like for me that yeah. it triggered for me. It was just unbelievable sadness and heartbreak mm -hmm. at seeing. Um, and I just saw a picture. I could not watch the video. Mm -hmm. I've seen too many of those. Yeah. I've seen too many um, black men being killed or brutalized in 
some form or fashion for something in this case, which would have been a misdemeanor, mm -hmm. maybe guilty of, uh, you know, a fine or maybe weeks in prison or whatever. But for him to be tried and executed on the street like that, yeah. it just just makes you feel like, uh, where do you stand? How do you, what hope do you have in, in a situation like that? And um, as a mother, I think about that for my son. Mm -hmm. I don't want him running on the street. I mean, I'm thinking of, you know, Ahmad. I don't want him running on the street in the evening or at night because what if that happens to him? Or, right. And it seems like, you know, maybe that's a ridiculous thing because, wow, this is just one isolated incident, but it's not. Right. In fact, in, in a space of 10 days, there was, you know, the situation with the gentleman in, the, in Central Park. And if you don't know that story, mm -hmm. you might need to look that up, the Central Park bird watcher. Mm -hmm. um, and then we had this situation um, with Ahmad and then this situation with George Floyd. Mm -hmm. If you thought for one moment at any point in time that was isolated, you'd have to know. Look at that. I mean, this is just in a space of 10 days. Yeah. And of course, for a community that each of these things is happening and it's happening to the men in your community, your fathers, your sons, your brothers, your grandsons, it's gonna feel different. It's mm -hmm. gonna feel different and it's gonna feel personal. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things, you know, we've talked about as, as, a, as a white man, I, I would just say my experience is there is not like a, a cohesive white community where we feel communal pain. Uh, and I think a lot of that is because we have not, as a as a race, experienced the same uh, racism, prejudice, abuse that historically, uh, and even as we see in the present, continues. Um, and and so that was something in our conversation, even Stephen, uh, this week, with the lunchtime lift. That that in preparation for that, I was like, that's not the way it is for at least in my experience as a white man in America. And, and, and I think that was really, boy, that was really a, a truth that was new to me and just kind of understanding the pain that my friends uh, that are black, they experienced that very, very differently. I, you know, condemn the murder. I believe that all four of those police officers should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Um, but it's just at a different place for me than it is, I, not just for, for Stephen and Karen, but for, for other uh, black friends that I have and, and talking to them and then just to understand. That's why I think this conversation is so key. And, uh, you know, in, in the aftermath of that, how do you feel there's been a lot of protesting? Majority by far has been peaceful protesting. Um, there's been some rioting, some vandalism. When you see that, what, what's your feeling about that? Yeah, I think the protest is, is, is necessary from the sense that it is an opportunity for a large group of people to let their voice be heard that what happened is not okay. And, you know, oftentimes because of things that are happening, uh, we can get confused with what is a protest and what is a riot. Mm -hmm. and, and I believe that rioting, and I just want to be clear about this, rioting is not okay. Yeah. Uh, rioting has also proven to not work. Mm -hmm. uh, it is not only self-destructive for the community, but it actually distracts from whatever it is that they are trying to accomplish. So I, I am for the protests. I participated in, in two of them uh, as a way to, to show that I am for. And I also just want to say something real quick because you mentioned the four police officers that should be persecuted. I do want to say as a black man that I am not against the police. Prosecuted. Prosecuted. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Prosecuted. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I do not. I am not against the police. Uh, I love the police. Uh, I am very close friends and, and uh, there are members of our church, Dave uh, Zapone, Dave Sanchez, Caleb Taylor, Danielle Kessler. These are my friends mm -hmm. and I am for them and I pray for them because I think oftentimes in the midst of difficult situations like this, they can get blanketed into a situation that says all cops are racist, all mm -hmm. cops are 
Mm -hmm. uh, uh, are bad for the black community. And I say no to that. That is not true. But we are against police brutality. We are against abuse of power, whatever the form, Absolutely. especially as believers. Yep. So yep. there is a level now where protest is needed in order for us to raise awareness and to show that what we saw on that tape cannot stand mm -hmm. that we cannot go any further mm -hmm. with it so that would be my my answer to that and i know martin luther king says that rioting is the language of the, of the unheard mm -hmm. and there's been history of riots the first riot i ever learned about was the boston tea party right. and how that was used yep. in order to to show that there was an issue mm -hmm. but again there is a better way yeah. And, and, and I pray that anybody watching sees that protest is a good thing as long as it is peaceful. And by the way, next week, we're going to have a similar format, uh, except we'll be having a conversation with some of our law enforcement officers, uh, because I think it, it needs to be full blown, you know, kind of yeah. like reach the whole conversation. So, uh, thank you for that. You know, obviously we feel that, you know, the same way. Um, and, uh, you know, that, not only those four police officers should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the mm -hmm. law. I believe that we should find a protest. We have people in our church that have protested peaceably. That's, that's allowed. That's that we have the freedom to do that. But when rioting vandalism, things like that occur, if laws are broken, the same should be true prosecution uh, as well there. So I appreciate your, uh, you weighing in on, on that. Um, yeah. But I still think, I, I think I agree. <laughs> I just want to say that I do agree. There should not, that yeah. rioting is not the way, mm -hmm. but I also feel like it needs to be said that don't let that be the distraction right. to what the real problem is, because mm -hmm. sometimes riots, you know, the riots happening are a distraction to now I can turn a blind eye to yeah. me being active and doing something. Yeah. The riots aren't good. But the riots began because of, there was something that happened. Mm -hmm. And so, I'm, again, riots aren't okay. Right. But don't miss that there was an injustice yeah. that needs to be dealt with. And so don't let that get lost. Don't call like a technical foul. Exactly. Dismiss the message. Exactly. Dismiss the point because of some, well, I guess we could just say some bad apples. You right. Know, a few bad apples. Right. Because it, it really doesn't represent right. uh, at all. It's fractional, the number of... Uh, people that have been protesting peacefully. Yes. And if you yeah. think of the number of protests across the country mm -hmm. and even in other countries that happened right. that were peaceful, it would it would be the same if you said because those four police officers mm -hmm. that killed uh, George Floyd right. makes all police officers bad. Right. It would be the same kind of thing to say because of protests and because yeah. of these riots, everything it's on that. Not not true on either no, count. No, no, yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't equal. So I just want to make sure in all of that, mm -hmm. what was what was happening doesn't get missed. Yeah, so important. And Karen, I'll just let you keep the, the microphone there, <laughs> uh, and, and ask you, you know, this question. Can you just share, you know, maybe, and I think this is like a, a real important one because I, for some people, I, I think there is this mindset of like, oh, it's an isolated incident. You kind of talked about that. Oh, you know. Uh, racism, prejudice isn't really prevalent any longer. So could you just sh share from your own personal experience, maybe the first time that you experienced prejudice against you or racism against you? Right. Okay. So I, um, I, I was born in New York and I lived in New York in Queens until I was 11 years old and my parents moved to Florida. Mm -hmm. And so I, was living in South Florida, and that was my first experience of racism. Mm -hmm. um, as an 11-year-old girl walking to school, um, I didn't realize that, I guess at 11 years old, I wasn't really that concerned with what my neighborhood was like, mm -hmm. but we had moved into an all-white neighborhood, and we weren't welcome. Mm. And it became really apparent uh, as the weeks and months and years went on. But um, in my first few weeks of going to school, was walking down the sidewalk and my neighbors would turn their sprinklers on 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 us and um and it's probably hard to imagine like what would happen because we don't really have sidewalks like that right. but where where i lived you know the you know the yards were pretty far apart mm -hmm. and not only was there a good distance between the house and the sidewalk but there was also a good distance between the sidewalk and the street right 
So no matter how you sliced it, if you ran, you're going to get soaked because mm-hmm. you're going to either have to run the distance to get across the front of the house. You're going to have to run through the grass. And right. these are multiple sprinklers that are coming up. And, you know, time and time again, you'd walk on this, we'd walk down the sidewalk and all of a sudden the sprinklers would come on. Mm. And, you know, I had to go to school many days soaking wet because if I went back home to change, I would have missed the bus. Mm. And my parents were working and there was no other option for me to get to school. And mm-hmm. I remember the first time that it happened, I didn't, I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. until I heard some of the kids in the neighborhood talking about, did you see what happened? And uh, realizing, oh, that was, that was intentional. And so we began walking in the street and, uh, and had some scary events with that, people sideswiping us as well on the road to you know, make us have to run back onto a lawn, which had a sprinkler going. And mm. so at 11 years old, I didn't think I was that scary, but mm-hmm. here I was in a neighborhood that, you know, yeah. that, was, that was their way to show us we didn't belong. Mm. And I'd like to say this, I might seem like I'm that old. (laughs) It wasn't that long ago. (laughs) And not only that, but even where I live right now, I've lived in, and I I think I'd mentioned this, I lived, Mm. I've lived in Hopewell for 20 years Mm -hmm. and there are still people in my community that will not acknowledge me. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's not dead. Racism is not dead. Right. And that's something that we all need to just be really aware of. Mm -hmm. It's ugly. And, uh, it's unacceptable. It's, it's, it's ugly. It's, it's sin is, it's demonic. It, it, you know, uh, the Bible says we're, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood principalities, powers, thrones, and, and, and those are demonic powers behind this evil at, at the essence. Stephen, how about you? Your first experience uh, with with racism or prejudice in your life? You know, if I could be honest, I one time uh, and I grew up in Hartford, Connecticut, about an hour and change from mm-hmm. here. And I, I was one of those people growing up where I said, racism is done. That's not a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're over that. And uh, since then, I, I've been called the N-word multiple times by different mm-hmm. people. Um, I've been uh, treated harshly, uh, with other people. And there's sometimes, and to your point, Karen, there's sometimes a level of like, am I being crazy? Like, mm-hmm. is, is it? And I, and I had white friends say, they don't treat us. They don't talk to us the way that they, they talk to you. Yeah. And, and here's the thing about this too. I think there is a very big difference between overt racism and covert racism. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes there are people that experience overt racism, like right. like we just mentioned, but also there's many times the side swipes and, and the small things that mm-hmm. make you wonder, well, what do you really mean about that? And how do you feel about me? Mm-hmm. I had a really, uh, I had a friend who was white in my college. I said, hey man, I really like you. And, I, and he was single and I said, oh, maybe you should, you know, consider my sister. And, and he was like, I can never take a black woman home. And, and and he was like, not to say that she's ugly, she's pretty for a black girl, but uh, if I brought her home, my family wouldn't like it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a reality. And mm-hmm. I think the one big thing, and I'll try to share this quickly, is that often we experience this, especially uh, in the business world, mm-hmm. where, um, and, and I, I'm grateful for this church being a part of this community, but this is the first church that I've, actually worked at where it was a diverse staff and and there were so many times where in order for me to get an opportunity i almost needed to in order to better my chances i had to lessen my blackness Mm. so i would be able to be more accepted because people like what they like and they Mm. prefer what they prefer And, and and if i would step into a room for a job interview and i saw that i was the only person that was black then I needed to be sure that I could talk the language. Uh, I needed to be sure that the way that I dressed and the way that I performed to this day, I have to be mindful of the jokes that I crack on stage, the way that I present myself, because there is a mental gymnastics that I have to do to be sure that people hear what I'm saying and they don't Mm -hmm. put me in a category after I say it. And I say all of that just because I think the big thing, and we've talked about this the other day, is that I've had so many times where I've gotten into those spaces and I've had those opportunities. uh, And I get into conversations with people that talk about black people in derogatory ways. Mm -hmm. And then they see me and then they say, oh, but don't worry about that, Stephen. You're not like them. Which is a prejudicial, racist comment. Yes. Yeah. 
because I am them. Right. And I'm actually more like them than I am like the people that are in the room. Right. Uh, and I had to think about how I presented myself in a way for you to say, well, he's in this category, but maybe he can hang out and be with the rest of us. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's, that's a reality that I deal with every day. Uh, and many of us have to deal with, we call it code switching, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, where the way that we talk and the things that we enjoy, we switch up depending on mm -hmm. who's in the room, but that's mm -hmm. definitely a reality. And, and so, you know, that statement, even you're not like them. Uh, what, what's saying there is instead of because of the relationship I have with you, Stephen, you're breaking down the stereotype. What's being said there. It's a prejudicial mindset. You're the exception. I still hold to my stereotype. Exactly. And that is blatantly racist and, and prejudice. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's why these conversations are so important so that we can really be aware of, I, as I said last week, I think sometimes someone can say racially insensitive things, but they're not a racist. Mm-hmm but the pain is still the pain. Yes. It does not limit the pain. It does not minimize the pain. You know, uh, one of the questions I know I've been asked recently during protests and, and, you know, with the protest kind of, I guess, the segment response of this uh, in, in the wake of, uh, you know, what we've seen is, uh, what about Black Lives Matters? Mm -hmm. How, you know, what does that say to you? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it'd probably be good just to answer that or, or just to hear what, what your feelings are about that statement, Black mm -hmm. Lives Matter. So I want to be careful with this because there is an organization behind the phrase hashtag Black Lives Matter that I as a Christian do not fully agree with. Mm -hmm. and, and I also as a Christian know that there have been many things that have happened within that organization, other things that has been divisive and not helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, so I as a Christian do not necessarily ascribe to the organization Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. I do wanna make that difference. But when I hear the phrase Black Lives Matter, uh, it does mean something to me mm -hmm. when I hear the phrase because so often in our history, it, we didn't matter at the same level. Uh, we had the Me Too movement not too mm -hmm. long ago. And one of the things that constantly kept coming up was that women needed to be respected in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Women need respect. And that term did not mean that men weren't worthy of respect. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a breakdown of men per se, mm -hmm. but it was the statement that there are spaces in which women are not treated fairly mm -hmm. that need to be fixed. Right. So when it comes to Black Lives Matter, like I mentioned before, there are hundreds of years where not only were we enslaved, but we were in many ways tortured psychologically, physically, emotionally. Mm -hmm. And then even after we experienced uh, say the freedom of slavery, mm -hmm. they implemented the Jim Crow laws, right. which is so, I mean, again, the, the idea of us even sitting here as, as, as many years ago as 60 years ago mm -hmm. would not be favored. Right. So oftentimes we think that because Jim Crow has gone away and because slavery is no longer a thing. And by the way, we know that the constitution that said all men are created equal also mm -hmm. said blacks were considered three fifths of a person. Mm -hmm. All, a lot of times we think that just because the law has changed that the mentality has changed as well, but right. that is not the case. Right. So we see, and again, this is less than 60 years ago. It was once, different bathrooms for black people and different things for black people. Mm -hmm. So there are people that are alive today that not only experienced it, maybe they've denounced it, but there's also, and again, just thinking of if, if it's possible for a community of people to carry on the trauma and the difficulty, it could also be possible that there are other people 
that have carried on the prejudice mm -hmm. for years since then. Right. So, and, and that builds into systemic things and mm -hmm. Karen, uh, she can talk all about that. But getting to my point is that there are things that are happening around us that clearly show that there is a mentality that black lives do not matter the same as other lives. Mm -hmm. George Floyd's life obviously did not matter the same. That's why he was murdered in the streets. Exactly. Yeah. While, so while handcuffed. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So Karen, your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I agree with Stephen on that. Um, when I think of black lives matter, it says to me, black lives matter too, mm -hmm. that we, we do matter. And, you know, we do believe that we're made in the image of God. We're all made in the image of God, mm -hmm. black, white, whatever you look like, we're all made in the image of God. And that's mm -hmm. where our value comes from. But because we can look back at a history mm -hmm. and we don't even have to look that far back. Right. It's, it doesn't say that we do matter. Mm -hmm. And some of the things, you know, um, you know, that are kind of stacked against a black community that you'd say are systemic and like, well, what does that mean? And, and how does that look? Yeah. Talk well, to that a little bit. Cause I think that was very enlightening to me personally. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things, you know, we were talking about is in, you know, some of the urban communities or black communities where they're food deserts, you've got a plethora of food, but not food that's affordable. That's good food, that mm. food that would be nutritious for your families, which is going to down the line, affect your health. It's mm -hmm. going to affect, you know, your, your well-being and your living. I didn't even know that was a thing called food desert. <laughs> so like fresh vegetables, right. fresh fruit, right. very difficult right. to get. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And if you live in an area where you might not have the transportation to drive to someplace else to get it, mm -hmm. that's what you have. You have what you can get to where you can sure. walk to. And then we have, um, you know, uh, policies that allow for liquor stores in black communities that would be you know, several in a, in a, a small radius mm -hmm. that would never happen in Hopewell Junction, but it right. could be in the city of Poughkeepsie mm -hmm. and not that, um, it's just the availability that mm -hmm. just promotes something that would be negative in your community. If there's a, you know, mm -hmm. uh, an abuse of that. Mm -hmm. And we have, you know, we've talked about what it looks like if you're somebody that's on drugs in the, in the inner city, if you're in a, in a mm -hmm. city area, you're a drug addict, you're a criminal. Right. But you know, if you're if you're a kid from Hopewell Junction, mm -hmm. you know you're you're somebody that has a problem that you're sick and you need help, and, and you're going to get rehab. Sympathy. Yeah, it's a very different. Someone with a drug addiction in suburbia. Right. Sympathy. Yeah. Inner city, criminal. Yeah, it's just a different, mm -hmm. a different perspective, and you know we can talk about the education systems and uh, healthcare and all of those. Things. There are mm -hmm. so many so many things that are sy systemic that happen in our communities that don't provide us an opportunity to, to, yeah. to succeed. Mm -hmm. A good friend of mine said, um, as a woman with privilege, with the privilege of white skin in a country that is structured to benefit my race, she had to realize, she realizes mm -hmm. that she's a woman with white skin mm -hmm. who's in a country that's structured to benefit her. Mm -hmm. And it's not structured to benefit us. And right. so I just, I just think that, um, you know, one of the things that we should think about is what's happening to the people around us. Mm -hmm. Is it, is it equal? Does it look the same for you as it does for me? Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, to address those things. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Right. Yeah. So, so uh, if I hear right, uh, black lives matters, uh, both of you clearly see a distinction between the concept, which is truly biblical uh, that, everyone's made in the image of God and certainly black lives are not any less than that. And then the political organization that uh, doesn't necessarily reflect biblical principles uh, in that. So I, I know that that's probably a question that people had on their, on their minds. So thank you for bringing some clarity to that issue. Um, I think it's important. What, what one phrase that I've heard that, that I actually had to kind of like ask about uh, was I understand it in the context of what happened to George Floyd, but in a broader context, I've heard this phrase being used 
Um, and I certainly understand it now because the story of the Good Samaritans about it. Silence is complicit, is consent. Silence consent. is consent. What, what does that say to you, Stephen, uh, to maybe help some of us to understand? What does that mean, silence is consent? Uh, if I could give an illustration as preachers do. Mm -hmm. um, I and remember, you are a very good one, so go right ahead. Well, thank you. Uh, game recognized game, as they say. <laughs> um, but uh, I remember when I was younger, uh, I was bullied in, in school. And it wasn't a race thing. It was just I was a different kid. I was mm -hmm. overweight things like that, that would just attract getting made fun of. And I remember sometimes people uh, taking my lunch and people saying mean things about me and my family and, and things like that. And uh, I also remember uh, not only being hurt by those people, but remembering how I had friends that were sitting right there that saw me getting bullied, that mm -hmm. saw people take my lunch mm -hmm. and they never spoke up. Yeah. They never said anything. They didn't even say stop. Yeah. Uh, I even remember one time somebody disrespected me as a young kid uh, while I was having a conversation and he walked away. And then my friend, or who I thought was my friend, just continued the conversation we were having. Did he even say, are you okay? Hmm. And um, if I could fast forward it to, to this situation here, like I've mentioned before, we are the black community is a community. We feel things as one because of the things that we have dealt with. Mm -hmm. And uh, what happened with George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and the dozens of people before that has left us hurt. Mm -hmm. And if I could be honest, uh, this has been one of the hardest seasons for me as a pastor. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the hardest seasons for me as a pastor for multiple reasons. I mean, in the midst of all of this, there's still a coronavirus happening yeah. and things like that. But I, I, it's been very hurtful because there have been people that I have loved, people that I've invited into my home, people that I was at their celebratory events for, mm. that I've also seen on social media say very hurtful things about my community. Mm-hmm maybe not realizing that I identify with that community, but nevertheless, it hurts. And I don't even know how to face them. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to talk to them. I don't know how to continue the relationships that I have. Mm -hmm. But then there's also the category of people that I do, that are in that same uh, realm where I love them and I've been there for them and they've been there for me and they haven't said anything. Yeah. And there's a level of, well, if you don't say anything, does that mean you're okay with what's happening to me? Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how we as a black community can be thousands, millions of people, but can still feel alone in a situation. Mm. And again, that is to me what silence is consent. Mm -hmm. From the perspective of you saw my pain, you saw that I was hurting, but you didn't care enough to intervene right? because you speak and you act on what you care about. Mm -hmm. What's important to you, you will make action for. Mm -hmm. and, and I can't help but think about the passage of the, of the good Samaritan, how these two religious people walked past a man that was hurting right? and how I'm sure if you talk to them, they could have had some, good, maybe logical explanation that they came up with with why they couldn't help this man. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, uh, they didn't help. They didn't help. Yeah. And, and again, that just makes me grateful mm -hmm. for, for you. That makes me grateful for the several members of this church that did reach out to me and my family that mm -hmm. did uh, do something to help because it helped me realize that we are not alone, mm -hmm. that not only do people see our pain, but they have compassion enough to come alongside us. Yeah. So that to me is what it means with silence as consent. Mm -hmm. okay. Karen, can you talk to uh, what does um, silence as consent mean to you? I don't know if this, I'm going to get this quote exactly right, mm -hmm. but what comes to mind is uh, that 
that quote that said, all it takes for evil to prevail is for good people to be silent or to do nothing. You got it. And I think that, um, you know, there are a lot of good people. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of good people in our church, a lot of good people in our community. But if you do nothing or you say nothing, then it's just as good as you're saying it's okay. Mm-hmm. Because um, when you have a victim, when you have someone that's hurting, they shouldn't have to defend themselves. Right. They need somebody to defend them. And this isn't a new fight. This isn't a new situation. This is we. The black community has been crying out for help for a long time. Mm-hmm. And if we're your neighbors, and you're walking past, then then you're saying it's okay. It's okay because when we care about things, we do something about them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the scripture tells us that they'll know that we're Christians by our love. And I don't say that anybody else gets a pass, mm-hmm. but I'm saying as believers, we don't get a pass. Right. Because we need to look different. That if we are one body, we are one, one body. That means if part of my body's hurting, my whole body's hurting. Right. And if so, part of our community, here at Valley Christian Church, as the body of Christ, any part of it that's hurting, we're all hurting. And we're a huge part of that community. God has brought us all together from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Mm-hmm. And and that we need to we need to be there for each other. We need to look out for each other. And maybe this is a place that we don't have a platform when we don't have the same voice. Mm-hmm. But you have a voice and you need to speak. Right. And you can't look away because in looking away, evil will prevail. The scripture instructs us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Neither one of those allow for silence. Right. Right. Neither one of those allow for silence. Right. And, and I've heard it, and I think this is important, you know, uh, in people that have experienced abuse in, in a home from maybe a step-parent, something yes. like that, there is just as much anger, sometimes even more. Right directed to the parent who knew it was going on and stayed silent than the actual perpetrator. Yes. Because mm-hmm. silence is consent. Yes. And so even those police officers, in the case of George Floyd, three other police officers stood by and did nothing. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's why they also need to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Exactly. Because by, by doing nothing, right. and, and we can't be the priest and the Levite and the story of the Good Samaritan that just walk by and do nothing. It's, it's not even up to the, the beaten, bloody, and naked person right. to call out to us. Right. We, need right. to, we need to step up and call out. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I also think that, you know, you may not have caused the injury mm-hmm. or you may not be part of, you know, the problem, but recognizing that you can be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. You may not have been the one to do it, but you can step in and keep it from continuing on. Yeah. And I think that that's part of not being silent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think I could speak for most of us. We, a lot of us are running. Okay. <laughs> we didn't know. And like they talked about last week, we all have blind spots. We don't know what we don't know. Yeah. However, now we know. Mm-hmm. So now we have some responsibility. Mm-hmm. Blind spots have been revealed. Uh, what can we do? Yeah. What are some practical things? I know we have included in the app notes a bunch of real practical things, links, suggestions, books, movies, mm-hmm. all that. Uh, and I hope you all download that just for sake <laughs> to just getting that resource list. Highly recommend a conversation, a video of a conversation between two pastors I thought was just excellent. Uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes and uh, Pastor Carl Lentz. The link for that is in the additional notes as well. But can y'all give us some some more just real practical things that that we can now do as a result of new understanding? Yeah, I think the uh, I'll give three just really quick. Uh, the first thing is pray for the black community. Mm-hmm. Uh, pray for those that are hurting. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the more you pray about something, the more it also changes your heart towards it as well. Uh, and, and that makes the second step even easier. Uh, once you pray for the black community, reach out to those that are hurting. Yeah. Uh, to anybody watching right now, you you know now that the black community is hurting. Yep. And, and it has been a blessing to my heart to have people just reach out and be like, hey, man, 
how's your family right now? Mm-hmm. How you guys doing? Mm-hmm. Um, they, they didn't call to justify or whatever. They just want to know. Right. And, and that does volumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the one thing that has been very transformative to me, and this goes outside of just black and white, mm-hmm. but I encourage anybody to invite, if you want to grow in this, to invite a family of a different race into your home, mm-hmm. uh, to, to go to another person, to another families of a different race into their home. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a scripture that talked about Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman. And there's something profound because Jesus, who was a Jew, was willing to drink from the same cup as the Samaritan. Mm-hmm. There's power in that. And mm-hmm. also that creates a connection and a dialogue and an understanding that you can't always just get from a YouTube video or from a book. Yeah. You you get to live it out and, and you see it differently. Mm-hmm. So th- those are three quick ones. I don't know if you want to add any more. And with that, I would say mm-hmm. make sure that we don't, when we get to know someone different than us, we don't say, oh, you're different than them. That's right. That allow that relationship to blow up that stereotype that's right that you know uh and and not oh you're an exception to the rule no yes they're, they're changing your mind is what it is thank you for adding that yeah. i don't have that much more to add thank mm-hmm. you Stephen. <laughs> but i will say that you know i love the our valley family mm-hmm. and there were many people that reached out to me along the way to say how are you doing mm-hmm. and you know How's your heart? Are you, you know, checking, especially community groups, which mm-hmm. I love community groups because you, you can know people on a different level yeah. in those groups. And so you don't get categorized and pushed aside. Mm-hmm. Like, no, that's my sister. Yeah. And so we, you know, we had those things, mm. those opportunities in all, many of my groups. Um, even so one, I just wanted to say was <laughs> we were talking about the protests and, and the things that were happening. And, you know, she started out on one side, like, I'm not sure, you know, and then I was just telling her it, nothing negative. We shouldn't be going out there to riot or anything mm-hmm. like that, obviously, but just, just marching for the, the purpose of saying that there is a problem, there is a cause and bringing awareness. And it was so funny. By the time we got off the phone, she was like, okay, so when's the next protest? <laughs> I'll, I'll be there. I'll be going with you. Yeah. And just knowing that, you know, we have those in our community that will, that will stand with us and our church is multicultural and multi-generational. And there's so many opportunities right here mm-hmm. for you to connect with someone different, but you can do that in your job. You can do that in your own neighborhoods or whatever mm-hmm. it is, but open up yourself in your heart because without doing that, you really won't truly get to know somebody in that same way. Right. And so, you know, inviting someone into your home as, as Steven said. And then the other thing I would say is educate yourself. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of good information that will help you to know how to come alongside and you know, maybe some of the systems or how you would vote or how you or the things that you would look for to be able to say, OK, I can step in to help in those areas, just casting yeah. a vote. And I don't I'm not talk, telling you who to cast your vote for. Mm-hmm. But if there's something in your community that is that is um, very one sided, mm-hmm. then then you should be looking at that. How is that keeping one part of your community down and promoting another part? Mm-hmm. That's something that we can change. That's something that we can look into. And even in our law enforcement, encouraging them to post, you know, what, how, how do you help people or when you're going to, uh, to arrest someone, the the things that are happening, are those things posted? So people understand how it looks, what it looks like and, Mm -hmm. and um, making sure that all of those policies are available. They're available to us. They're mostly public to just make sure that they're not in a way that it's not interpreted the same by all the community Mm -hmm. and uh, just there there are many ways that we can step in to do some things and i love the ideas that i know we'll be posting and i think Mm -hmm. that if people will avail themselves of those they'll find many ways to get involved and to serve and to help there's plenty of opportunity too well thank you all so much for sharing from your hearts i know it hadn't been easy and uh you know i think we could just talk for a long time uh for sure but um because this needs to be an ongoing conversation, not one time and that's it. It just needs to continue. And hopefully our conversation has made it a little bit easier for you to have some conversation, starting around your dinner table. I think that's the most practical way. Uh, and, and uh, you know, next week we're gonna have some law enforcement, uh, you know, as well and just hearing, and not, not an opposing opinion, more so like how much we actually have in common. That's the whole point law enforcement that love Jesus, you know, and he's first. And, uh, you know, we're going to continue to keep this in the forefront 
uh, of our minds, you know, and, and the news may stop, but we're not going to stop because yeah. it needs to change. It has to change and it needs to change with us. And uh, so I, I just want to close in prayer right now. Okay. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for just courage to even push through awkwardness to really just hear hearts, hearts that have been hurting. And, and for many of us, we just didn't even know. Lord, we, we, we really don't look to a government. We, we don't look to any organization for answers. We look to you. Jesus, we need you to heal our land. But that's going to start when we open up our hearts to you and allow you to heal our hearts. And so, God, I pray that just by the tenderness of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would convict our hearts, show us our blind spots, that we would turn from them and turn to you and receive your grace and your forgiveness and your healing. And, Lord, we would no longer walk by those that, that need to hear from us, that, that need us to stand with them. And, and Father, I pray that we would be, as a church family, even better. Even better than we've been. To, to really show our community that we are who we say we are because of the love we have for one another. Without exemption, without excuse. Lord, we need you so bad. And we know that you hear our prayer because your prayer was that we would be one. And let us be one, Father, unified by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.